You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. While you were skipping stones, building forts, and flying kites, I was missing school and all my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hello, Happy New Year! I'm Mark Tuminelli, and this is episode 31 of Little Me Growing Up Broadway, featuring Broadway superstar Andrew Keenan Bulger. Before I get to our interview, I just want to thank you all for joining me on this podcast adventure. When I kicked off the podcast this past March, I wasn't sure anyone would listen, but you are here and you're listening, and that's amazing to me. So thank you for the DMs and the notes and the text messages from people who know me. And uh, I'm going to get you some really amazing guests for 2021, so stay tuned. And remember to follow us on Instagram at Podcast. I'm doing a lot of fun things like scrapbook Saturdays and fun uh, throwback videos of our guests, and we're having a great time over there, so make sure to follow. All right, let's get into it. My guest today is an actor, a director, an author, and a filmmaker. He starred as Jesse Tuck in Tuck Everlasting on Broadway. He created the role of Crutchy in the original Broadway cast of Newsies and the record-breaking Newsies, the Broadway musical film that you can watch on Disney+. His other Broadway credits include Mary Poppins, Susical, Beauty and the Beast, and A Christmas Carol, as well as the national tours of Spelling Bee, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Mary Poppins, and Ragtime. He's the co-creator of the critically acclaimed web series Submissions Only, and of the children's book series, Jack and Louisa. He has appeared on numerous film and TV projects, including The Undoing, Looking, Naked Brothers Band, Nurse Jackie, Marcy X, and many others. We have such a fun conversation, including talking about Nicole Kidman, filming The Undoing and improving full scenes, and some insane susical stories, including Andrew's wild voice change that happened during the Broadway run. To be honest, the same thing happened to me when I was 15, but Andrew was starring in a Broadway show and I was starring in a community theater show underneath a train station on Long Island. So enjoy my episode with Andrew Keenan Bolger. I'm so thrilled to have an amazing guest today who's been working in this business for most of his life, having appeared on Broadway in Beauty and the Beast, Seussical, Mary Poppins, A Christmas Carol, Newsies, and Tuck Everlasting. He's the co-creator of the critically acclaimed web series, Submission Only, and the co-author of the children's series, Jack and Louisa. He has appeared in numerous film and TV projects, including Everyone's 2020 Obsession, The Undoing. Please welcome Andrew Keenan Bolger. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Mark, how's it going? How are you? Thank you so much for joining me for my first guest for the new year. And I can't oh, think of a better way to kick bang. it out. Out with a bang. <laughs> or um, in with Andrew, a bang, I guess. In, yeah. Um, since this is the Little Me podcast, we're going to focus on the first part of your career, which was pretty dynamic. I mean, you kind of, you got started off with a bang yourself. Um, tell me about what you were doing, what like seven and six-year-old Andrew was doing around the house that made his parents be like, we must make this kid a star? I mean, it was a lot of shows in the basement, lip syncing along to like lovely ladies from Les Mis with the, uh, with like sheets over my head, just like light drag performances in my basement. Um, And then I was also, uh, I have two older sisters, um, Maggie and Celia, and right out of the gate, uh, I grew up, uh, seeing my, especially my older sister perform because she's a few years older than me. So I would go see Celia perform in like children's theater and in community theater, really from as soon as I could be quiet uh, sitting on my mom's lap. Uh, 
And yeah, theater had just always been a part of my life. Uh, and we grew up in uh, Detroit, Michigan. Uh, and it was a lot of schlepping the kids around in the carpool, dropping us off at uh, dance lessons and uh, rehearsal. Uh, really typical, I would guess, Midwestern uh, theater nerd family. What was like your first time on stage? Uh, my first time on stage, it was in... This was like the early 90s, and it was a musical called Peace Child, which okay. is a very specific, like, there are random people who are in this. It was kind of like a social political theater movement. Oh, Andrew, um, it sounds terrible. <laughs> I, I mean, and it was, it was about, um, it was like right before um, the like end of the Soviet Union, and it was about... American kids and Soviet kids becoming friends. Uh, so it, it set off a career of uh, <laughs> wanting to do political theater, I guess, and Great. finding theater as a tool for social change. But uh, it, in fact, I did get stage fright before opening night. This is when I was five and, oh. and refused to go on stage. So a classic diva move from Andrew at five. Um, so well, that it really turned, it it turned out okay. my first. Yeah, technically my first, but I never actually made it onto the stage. So then how did you start the professional circle? How did that come to you? When I was probably about like seven, seven or eight, uh, my mom signed uh, the three of us up and herself for uh, a workshop in Detroit called How to Raise Healthy Kids in Show Business. Um, and I think both my parents were interested in if, if we're really going to pursue this, we want to make sure that we're not being horrible stage parents and ruining our kids. Uh, and it was led by a manager out of New York uh, who was coming in town. And I don't think there was any expectation of like, and now we move to New York. But afterwards, I remember her calling my mom over and being like, would you ever consider maybe uh, bringing your kids in for an audition in New York if something were to come up. And I, I think it seemed like such a long shot that at the time my parents were like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Uh, and one of the first things that they brought me to, um, I had an audition for Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. And it really at the time, I truly believe my parents never had any intention of like, <laughs> me actually getting the job. It was more an excuse to put the kids in the minivan and have a fun road trip to New York and maybe see like a Broadway show. And when I was in the room auditioning, this has never happened to me again in my entire career. The people behind the table were like, are your parents in the, um, in the waiting room? And I'm like, yeah, my dad's out there. And they brought in my dad. And I think that there are still kids waiting to go. So I don't really know how this happened. Rude. They were like, yeah, so rude. They were like, would you consider moving to New York um, because rehearsals start next Friday? And I don't remember what my parents said in the room. I'm sure it's like, we'll have to think about it. They're like, okay, well, we will need to know ASAP. And God bless my parents. I mean, I cannot imagine the kind of sacrifice that they had to make uh, really under the gun um, and we sure enough, it started out just me and my dad. Uh, we came to New York. I started rehearsals for Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. And then soon after my family, <laughs> one by one kind of followed to New York. Was that tricky for you to become like a little mini star with your two sisters who've been doing this longer <laughs> than you? Because that dynamic's not cute. 
I mean, it is sort of hilarious. Uh, I was definitely like the youngest sibling, but um, you know, I, I I feel lucky in that my sisters and I we've never been competitive against each other. It's it feels so anathema that that could be something that could be felt among siblings. We've always been super supportive and really uh, each other's biggest cheerleaders and biggest fans. Uh, oh, that's and so, that's truly, great. it meant that we all got to be in New York together. So, like, that was what we all wanted anyway. Were they auditioning as well with when you were auditioning for things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, my my older sister, Celia, she was actually just about to go off to the University of Michigan to major in musical theater. Um, so and everything she went turned back out pretty well for her as well. <laughs> everything turned out great. Yeah, yeah, she's doing well. <laughs> and and my sister and I, uh, Maggie and I, were both auditioning in, uh, all the time in New York. She did like a ton of commercials. She did uh, The Wizard of Oz with Roseanne Barr. Oh my uh, God, at, at Madison, Madison Square Garden. Garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was uh, doing Beauty and the Beast, so it was a lot of uh, juggling our schedules for a while. All right, well, tell me about Beauty and the Beast. When did you join the cast? Who was in it? What was happening over at Beauty and the Beast when you started? Sure. So I joined uh, January 1996, uh, and it was Jeff McCarthy was the Beast. Okay. Um, right at the beginning, uh, Carrie Butler was coming in to play Belle. She was this, like young girl who they discovered from Toronto. And I think she was super young. She was like very early twenties. It was her Broadway debut. Um, it was incredible. It, I, I truly, every, the reason that I am doing this professionally now is because of that Beauty and the Beast family and how kind that they treated me and how much they encouraged me. And I think just getting to be, to spend every day with a bunch of really self-actualized adults who are doing this for the love and uh, getting to work for a company like Disney that took such great care of us. Um, yeah, it was, it was really incredible. What did it feel like to be like a Broadway kid? You know, there was, especially in the nineties, there was this circle of all these kids that were doing Broadway shows that made albums and had wear their show jackets. Were you part of that culture of Broadway kid? I, I mean, I was not like in the, quote unquote Broadway, Broadway kids, kid. but surely uh, it's funny, like anytime in between shows, the moms all end up getting each other's phone numbers and like childcare is just easier. Like I remember there was a while where we would go up to the eighth floor of the Marriott Marquis and just like hang out in the lobby and it would be the kids from Les Mis, the kids from King and I, the kids from Sound of Music, and they would just let us run wild and expel all this <laughs> in between show energy. Meanwhile, sorry to the Marriott Marquis staff for being like, what is this daycare that we are running? But yeah, like the I remember Leah Michelle. Yeah, yeah Leah Michelle so was in uh, Les Mis at that time. Um, trying to think of who else, the other kids who went to like Jenna Oshkowitz was in King and I then. Uh, right, just yes, like a yes, wild yes. group of you all superstars. So. Uh, how long did you do Being the Beast? And were you like, get me out of this cart? Or were you loving it? <laughs> oh, I would have done it forever if I could have. Um, I did it for, I think, 20 months. And wow. uh, and my parents, they were like, all right, it's time to go home. <laughs> it wasn't like I outgrew it or anything. I would have kept on doing it. But it, uh, my parents made big sacrifices too. I had two working parents. And they decided that, 
it was maybe time to go back to Michigan. Uh, and so I think I begrudgingly, but totally understood why I moved back to um, Detroit. How hard was that transition back from being like this New York City Broadway kid to back to kind of the burbs? Or do you live in the city proper? Yeah, 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 wow. yeah. I'm from Detroit proper. Uh, wow. I think like fifth generation. Uh, and my okay. dad works for the city. Uh, so there's like a huge, tremendous amount of Detroit pride. And I think the plan was like, well, we got to do that one thing and that'll be it. And right, <laughs> I think like right after I started seventh grade, a new musical called Ragtime was coming up and I had gotten the, um, uh, they made like a, what was it called? Uh, like a CD beforehand. Like of, a concept album of like one. Yeah, it's a like concept album. Yeah. And I was just obsessed with it. And I think my parents were too. They were like, this is amazing. And we being from Detroit, we drove up to Toronto where they were doing the out of town tryout of it. And I think my parents were like, okay, this show is amazing. So when it came to Broadway and started a national tour, I had the opportunity to audition for it. And I think my parents were like, this one is a pretty this good one. Special. We'll let them yeah, audition. Should, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you did the Ragtime, the the Broadway national tour of Ragtime. For how long yeah. did you do that for? Uh, I did that for kind of a while, like almost two years. It It was actually, it was even before the national tour because the producer at the time was trying out all these new models. Like it trying started to in LA. LA. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, but we went to LA, we went to Vancouver, and then we did a sit down in Chicago, sort of really as the Broadway production was opening, so um, cool. which is not <laughs> really a model that has ever been replicated. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was incredible. And getting to do that show, I still, to this day, I'm like, that is the best show I've ever been in. Um, and just a cast of like 60 and a million it was costumes like, and sets. Yeah. And like, that's probably yeah, unreal. I think I had 13 costumes in that show, which they would never do now, but Insane. it was a really cool thing to get and to. And you do. did Christmas Carol after that was Christmas Carol at Madison Square Garden. So you're yeah. following yeah. your sister's footsteps. Yeah. I think at that point they, they realized, yeah, we're not going to be able to get him to move back to Detroit. <laughs> like there were just too many things that were incredible. And I think my parents really recognized that this passion was more than just a hobby. And so I basically had like free reign for the next three years of just, I was auditioning for everything and uh, basically nonstop working. Um, were you being tutored? What were you doing about school during all that? Yeah, like when I was when I was in ragtime, I, I had a tutor while we were on the road. And then once we sat down in Chicago, I actually, I went to a public school there. Um, and Madison Square Garden, I, I think I went to, I. Yeah, I had a tutor for that too. Uh, like, and, you guys did and, like 90 shows a week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you kind of 11 a.m. too. It's so true. Like the wildest. So talk to me about Susical because obviously this is like a huge next really big thing that comes into your life unless I'm skipping over something major. But No, uh, no, I think that that, that absolutely, I, I think the auditions probably started when I was doing A Christmas Carol and I knew Lynn and Steven from Ragtime. Um, yeah, right, and everyone right. around town. Carol, yes. Yeah, oh my gosh. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Lynn wrote Christmas Carol, it's that's like right. For, easy to forget that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and everyone in the like 
Broadway kids circuit was like, there's this Dr. Seuss musical coming. Everybody get excited. Uh, and at this point I was older. I was, I think I was 14 when I was doing Christmas Carol and auditioning for Seussicola. My voice had not yet changed. Um, well, done. done. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Famous last words. Yes. Um, and yeah, so I was, I was cast in Seussicola and that summer we, uh, went to Boston to do the out-of-town trial before it went to Broadway. And really, as soon as we were starting rehearsals for it, I was like, oh, crap. I cannot really sing this part anymore. I, like, started cracking and, like, just my body was, like, growing. I was just super awkward. And it was definitely, it was written to be a kid. And I was clearly someone about to go through puberty at any second. Uh, so it was, it was a, a harrowing experience for a number of reasons too, because that show up until that point, we had done like a couple backers auditions and they had done a workshop of it. And it really was this incredible piece of theater. It was these insanely beautiful songs and this great story. And up until that point, it had really been people in a brightly colored t-shirt and a ladder on stage. And everyone was so moved by the story and by the music. And then you have the impossible task of trying to interpret Dr. Seuss's world into a physical Broadway production. And I think right off the bat, it just was plagued with a lot of problems, uh, technical problems, trouble with a concept, um, just costumes that, seemed great on the page, but once they were in a person, seemed like they were really kind of suffocating the performance. And as soon as we got to Boston, it was really, it was bad news. Like they were making changes left and right. There were all these rumors that people were getting fired. Our director like kind of went AWOL. It, it was just sort of a really toxic. Was no one time. dealing with the situation of that your voice was changing because there were so many other things to deal with? When did that I mean, I, come into the into play? I assume that was all in play at the same time. They were like, "Oh my gosh!" So we have this kid who has like four songs in the show and can't really sing it. Uh, and then, truly, like during previews, they fired our costume designer, so we no longer had costumes, and we were all given they told us to go to Macy's and go and buy our costumes. So we went and bought like sexy black costumes from Macy's to do like a Chicago Fosse style version of Susicle. Stop yourself right now. That is. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so all these audience members are coming in to see this Dr. Seuss musical. They're like lights up on a stage of people dressed all in black. Oh God. And avoid so it thing. Um, that's just yeah. it's not going well for Susical out of town. For anyone. But yeah. <laughs> the, the show perseveres and moves to Broadway, and you're still with the show, correct? I am. So when we were in Boston after the show opened, they basically brought me and my parents in for a meeting, and they're like, I feel like you know, like this is coming, and we just want to let you know that uh it was actually Lynn and Steven who do not want you to leave the show. They want you to become the alternate and they're willing to adjust any keys to make it easier for you. They would hate to see you not be able to make it to Broadway. Um, so you're gonna come with us to Broadway and you'll get to do the show for a month before, 
we definitely need to bring in someone who can sing the role. I mean, Andrew, that is the nicest thing I've ever heard that's ever happened in this whole business because you know that I that mean, is not what goes down, especially with kids. Um, it's not, yeah. How are you feeling after that? Like, can you put yourself back in that? What What does a 14 year old do in a meeting like that? You know, this is yeah. not a normal thing that a kid has to deal with at this scale. So I'm just so right. curious about the mindset. So by the time we moved to New York, I was fully now like 15 and a half in 10th grade, like had no business being <laughs> a kid actor on Broadway. Um, but I was also, I was going through a lot of teenager stuff. So I was not really, my brain was all over the place. I was feeling all of these new feelings for the first time. Uh, and I was beginning to learn the kind of reality of show business that up until this point, it had really been a hobby. It had been something that I had just done for fun. And if I wasn't having fun, I could just leave it. Uh, but it suddenly became something that had been my dream to get to open a show on Broadway with like the greatest songwriting duo at that point, um, kind of feel like it got taken away from me. So yeah, I was, I was not a happy camper. Um, but also, I think I did understand, I was learning these lessons about the business and that if I were to continue with it, it would not be just fun and games. It would not be getting to go to the theater and play dress up every night. Were there any, you know, situations with the boy who was brought in, uh, that's Anthony Blair Hall, right? Um, yeah, yeah. was brought in to then take over. How difficult was that dynamic? Well... I feel so lucky. He was honestly a prince because he was uh, he was my understudy in Boston and really, I mean, my best friend. And he was such, I, I look back at that and I'm like that, if I ever am in the same position, may I handle it with <laughs> the grace that that 13 year old showed me. He was really so sweet. It was never, it was never like, there's no all about Eve going on yeah. there. Um, and I think was really sensitive to what I was going through. Um, and remain my friend long after uh, I went back to Michigan. He like stayed in touch with me. I remember my mom almost also passed away like a year after Susical, And he flew out to be like my buddy at her funeral. Just like an incredible oh young man. Um, and he's no longer performing. I think he's uh, like a brainiac engineer out in San Francisco. That's okay. You're we like, need, yes, you're too here for that. this world. We need that desperately. <laughs> so that that's fine. Um, so walking away from that school experience and going back to Michigan and figuring out what this next, probably at that point you're in 10th grade, so you have to finish high school mm -hmm. and then think about college. Was there moments where you're like, I'm not super interested in doing this anymore or tell me about how the passion kept getting fed to continue. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think I moved back to New York or to Michigan. I was like, this is not for me. This, this was something I love, but it also broke my heart. And for a while I was just a regular teen in high school. And, uh, and then I got a, an email or a call or something from the community theater that I grew up performing and that I really got my start in. Um, they were doing a production of Peter Pan and they wanted me to audition. And I was like, I don't know y'all, but <laughs> I think my, my parents were like, you can audition if you want. 
And if you don't, we'll be supportive of you. Uh, and mostly I think I was just bored. So I, I went to the audition. I ended up getting cast as Peter Pan, which meanwhile, I'm sure I was terrible. Like, cause we were also doing it in Mary Martin's keys and like my voice had finished dish changing, but I, some stuff was like, I was where is down that video? We need that Hopefully video. It is buried <laughs> in my parents' attic somewhere. Oh my gosh. Um, but did that but reignite was, the, the spark for you? You know what? It did. And it was, it was not even about performing. I think, I think it was getting to be back in a room with theater people, these people who it's different in Michigan. Like they're, they're not doing it to make money. They're doing it because they love it because they have an insane passion for it. And I think I had sort of forgotten about that. And it really made me realize that you can be on a Broadway stage in front of 2000 people, or you could be at your community theater in front of 150, but people take it just as seriously. Um, people are working just as hard, if not harder, because a lot of them have day jobs and are going to school and doing this like just because they love it. And I think it was being reminded of that passion and that people are making huge sacrifices to do this that I think made me fall in love with theater again. So it it had a really nice little um, a cyclical um, journey back to the place where I got my start was the place that ended up kind of <laughs> stitching me back together. It's so awesome. We're going to take a little tiny break and we're going to come back and talk about college and newsies and tuck and all those fun things. So we'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. We are back with Andrew Keenan Boulder. All right. So all you get to do Peter Pan. You decide to go to Michigan, which is the greatest musical theater program that exists, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, you, I think so. No, I mean, I think it is. All my kids that are there uh, have really, <laughs> well, most of my kids are there, have really good experiences. A couple of them, not so much. But it's uh, it's such a great program. And obviously, it has brought to light so many talented students who have come out of that and become really big Broadway stars, you included. Um, so what was that experience like going to college, having had a really successful child career. Did that change how you went through those four years? I think probably in the first few weeks it did. You're like, where, I'm a star. What am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> Not even like, I'm sure there was a little bit of ego involved. Mostly I was really proud of my accomplishments, but I think right away, I, w I was used to sort of being a little bit of <laughs> the big fish. I mean, there are other very talented people at my community theater, but I was definitely put on a pedestal. And 
when I got to Michigan, I I still hadn't totally finished going through puberty. My voice hadn't really settled. I also am a very late puberty human, <laughs> so I, I got you. I understand. Yeah. I see you. And and I remember there our first, it's called like a lab. Uh, the first time everyone gets up and performs um, basically for the whole school and immediately being like, oh my God, all these people are so much more talented than me or just so much further along with their craft right now um, that it was very humbling. And I I then just went into learning mode and trying to learn as much as I could from my faculty and from other students. And I, yeah, I think there is a little bit of like, it would be weird sometimes in class when we'd be talking about how to like, write a resume and we had to bring in copies of our resume. And it was like, everyone else had credits from Stage Door Manor. And I'm like, do I put my regional stuff like lower than this? Do I include the fact that I did Peter Pan in my community theater? Oh, like God. all that kind of stuff was interesting, but immediately the talent was unlike anything I had ever seen. So it's also something really <laughs> interesting. I think that happens with people, adults who associate themselves with younger characters. Like obviously you look young, you're going to play younger mm -hmm. parts. And then there are people your same age who look like adults and play adult yeah. parts. And there is, there's like a longing to be like, well, I want to be an adult too. Um, but it's weird. And you're all the same age. It's like a very strange dynamic that happens between those kinds oh. of performers. Oh yeah. I remember like my sophomore year, they had callbacks for our musical company. Like I had a callback for a part in company where I'm like, like he doesn't no have any kids. Me. That's the point. Um, yeah. This yeah, is not going to happen. It's not going to be my year. So was spelling be the first big job you booked out of school? Yeah. Well, first I did, um, production of High School Musical, oh. which I was very excited about because that was all the rage my senior year. Um, I read about it. And <laughs> yes, I, I did it at uh, North Shore Music Theater. Um, and it was really fun. It was like a whole crop of kids who had just graduated. My Sharpay was Kate Rockwell Ooh. of Mean Girls fame. Um, and yeah, that was that was technically my first thing. But then I, I think I had uh, booked Spelling Bee right before I went to go do that job. So I knew I had that sort of lined up. Now, obviously you'd seen your sister be brilliant in Spelling Bee on Broadway, where you were like, I want to replace in this show. I want to, like, did you have it in your head? I guess so. It was, I, it all sort of happened so fast. It was, I graduated in, I guess, May, and it was one of my first auditions right out of school. Um, and it was, I kind of just <laughs> booked it really quick without like too much time to really freak myself out. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I saw my sister in this and I was obsessed with it. And I was also so obsessed with Jesse Tyler Ferguson who created the role um, that I am glad that that is one that a bootleg doesn't exist. Cause I think if I went back and watched that, I don't think I was very good at spelling bee. I feel like I would be great now, but I think part of the magic of that original cast was they were a little bit older where they had a distance from those characters where they were able to make those performances so funny. And honestly, I was 21, which didn't feel that far away from when I was still performing as a kid. And I think I was mostly kind of leaning on those old tricks of like 
being adorable when I don't think that that's what that show calls for. So what did your, I'm glad that I had an opportunity, but I would like to revisit that one someday. What did your sister like? Did she give you advice? Like, I, I'm dying to know about these Broadway siblings. It's like blows my mind. Be like, well, I created this show. And so this is what I'm going to tell my little brother when he does it. Like, it's just honestly, nobody has that, that story. Was, I, it is wild. That was one where my sister was, I think, more hands-off than anything I've done in my career, where she did not give me any suggestions. She did not provide me with any advice because it wasn't, whatever worked for her wasn't going to work for me. And I really needed to figure that one out on my own. And it would have been so easy to be like, yes, but what did, like, <laughs> how did you figure out how to play this part? I think she she knew that that was my first challenge out of the gate as an adult. And I actually, you know what? I don't even think my sister, I don't think I let her come and see that show. I was like, I don't want you to see it. <laughs> so wild. Um, so the Disney company has been very good to you. Um, you came back to Broadway was uh, the first time as an adult, I guess, technically was Mary Poppins. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. How different did it all feel to be doing that under the lens of now I'm an adult on Broadway I'm, I'm still here, you know, I'm still doing it. I'm only 20, yeah. whatever. I mean, it was wild. I went into my audition for it, uh, for like the final callback and it was all the producers and Tom Schumacher, who was the head of Disney theatrical. I heard him go, Oh my gosh, she was a chip. It was a chip. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. They're like, wait, this is so great. Um, and so it was really nice that my like return to Broadway was, with that company and there is unlike i i don't think that there is another kind of uh like sort of a tribe that exists on broadway like the disney theatrical company where they really do try to boost up the careers of the people who they've discovered um just in a way that i don't think there's a mechanism i guess some producers can work with certain people and some playwrights work with other people but the Disney, the Disney Corporation, they are really kind if you make a good impression and uh, they really do take care of you. And right off the bat, when I was doing Mary Poppins, um, I had been doing all these kind of like backstage blogs when I was on, on Spelling Bee and when I did the Mary Poppins tour. And I think originally everyone just sort of wrote them off as like, yeah, that's like, I'm sure like how we look at kids who are big on TikTok, we were like, I don't know what all that is. Um, but Tom Schumacher from Disney Theatrical, I think immediately was like, this is valuable. Um, what you're doing is actually kind of viral marketing at a time when I don't think anyone else had sort of realized that there was potential on YouTube to widen your audience and use it as a form of marketing. So they, whenever, uh, Disney would do, they would do sort of these in-house readings of the projects that they were developing, things like Aladdin and Newsies. I got to be in those readings because they didn't want to hold auditions to like tell the world about it. So they would sort of just use people who had been in Disney shows, uh, which I think was why I was able to continue with Disney doing as much stuff with them as I did. And the vlog stuff, where how did that come to you? Were you like, I should document this? Because obviously we know you have a writer brain, which we'll get to in a minute, and a creator and a director. But what what was like the spark for you to that said, I should be sharing this with whoever wants to watch it? Well, when I was at Michigan, um, 
I think YouTube, it was like invented my sophomore year. And right away I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is a like opportunity for us to share. Cause at that time I was directing a lot of concerts and a lot of cabarets. I was like, oh, I can document this and then share it with my friends at other schools. Uh, my friends like Carnegie Mellon and CCM who couldn't come and see our production. So it was truly just a way to be like, this is what we're doing. How cool is this? Send us stuff that you're doing. Um, but I, what we hadn't accounted for was that everyone else online at that point were searching musical theater on YouTube. And our channel was like the first thing that came up because it was the only kind of content out there. So we cultivated like a weird following, um, especially among teenagers who were like looking for schools to go to. Um, so already when I moved to New York, I had kind of a, a bit of a following for my online stuff. And I think it just naturally translated as soon as I was doing shows, I was like, well, I can't film these cause that's against <laughs> equity rules, but yeah. why don't I just document like what's going on backstage? Cause that's something if I were a teenager, I would be interested in seeing what happens. Um, because when I grew up, there would be the opportunities for me to see musical theater on television in Michigan. It was like the Tony Awards and like occasionally a performance on the Rosie O'Donnell show. And that was yeah. really all you got. Um, and so I think I recognized pretty early on that there are folks that want more of this kind of content and are not going to be able to find it on TV. Um, yeah. So it sort of just happened organically. Well, it's brilliant. And it obviously like put you in a place where people knew who you were and you have a huge fan following, which only got crazier during Newsies, which is like the <laughs> wildest fan reaction. I mean, I've been obviously going to the theater my whole life. I'm 40 years old, um, but I've never seen anything like that. So I'm sure you've never experienced anything like that. Oh, Talk no, you know, I don't think I ever will. <laughs> you never I'm sorry, you probably not, you won't again. Um, but that, I mean, for a Broadway show to have that kind of wild fan base. Um, and it's, you know, it's not the show that, you know, everybody in the season is talking about. It's just like, was really felt like a show for the fans, which is, I yeah. know what Newsies was. I mean, because that movie has such a cult following. But talk to me about being inside of that and when you knew it was going to become, it was going to eclipse, you know, Broadway fandom. Yeah, well, the entire time when Disney was developing that property, their assumption was that they just wanted to create a licensed version that they could sell to the community theaters and the, um, and high the school. Like, children's yeah. theaters. Yeah, that were already doing illegal productions of it where they would just transcribe the movie. My friend did one called Strike the Musical and <laughs> swiftly got a cease and desist. This was like in oh 1998 or something. Go ahead. So good. Um, so I think Disney kind of had low expectations for it. Um, but when they started doing the readings, I remember like the first day that they were teaching us carrying the banner in the like very first reading and they were like plunking out the parts and we were all just sort of singing along because all of us already knew it. And they're like, wait, do you guys already know this song? We're like, yes, we're all boys in musical theater were obsessed with newsies and they're like oh okay well fine blah 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 and then when we uh opened a paper mail which still at this point they were saying this is just a proof of concept we want to know that this can be done as a show so that we can then license it and sell it to church groups and i think that they had no idea what that fan base looked like because on our opening night our like first preview 
that audience reaction after Seize the Day, they gave us a standing ovation and they would not stop clapping for like two straight minutes. And all of us on stage were like, whoa, y'all, this just got so real. Um, and then the the fanzies just took over. And I, I don't know if there has ever been a show where the reason we made it to Broadway was... 100% because of the fans demanding it. And even when it went to Broadway, it was supposed to be a limited run and the fans like bought out all of the tickets. We recouped in like weeks and wow. then it became an open ended run. So the, I think everyone's like, Oh, fans are great. But you're like, y'all fans gave us all our careers. And you uh, got so to go back and do the filmed version as well. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what was that call like to be like, oh my God, I get to go back and do this fun thing? <laughs> um, it was really nice. It I got the call actually the day that um, I was doing Tuck Everlasting and it was the day that we posted our closing notice. So I was <laughs> real bummed out, but then my manager called me and was like, so they're doing like a live taping of Newsies and they want you to be in it. You're like, oh, well, that would be nice. That's a good distraction. Nice today. Um, yeah. Well, it's beautifully done. And it's so great that that exists. You know, there are so many kids that only get to see theater like that. If it's on Netflix or now Hamilton, obviously on Disney Plus. But I, I think these video versions of Broadway shows are going to change the game for so many kids that would never have access to theater. So it's very special to be part of that history of, of musicals on tape. Yeah, I hope so. It it just makes so much sense. It's it's really what I was trying to do when I had like 10,000 followers on YouTube. It's just trying to broaden the audience and know that to get to New York is already expensive. To buy a Broadway, a seat to a Broadway show is expensive, especially if it's a hot ticket. And that doesn't mean that people all over America shouldn't be able to enjoy it. Um, so I'm so thankful for... Uh, things like Newsies. And it truly has given it another life. Um, I thought that the fancies had died down and then yeah. that came out and I'm like, oh no, they just got younger. Alive and well. Um, let's talk yes. about Tuck Everlasting. I got to see the show out of town and I saw it on Broadway a couple of times and your work in that show was great and you're so charming and fun and the music in that show was beautiful. It seemed like we were back in a little bit of a musical situation where everyone was trying to figure out how all these pieces fit together. And you're, you know, pretty much the kind of secondary star of the show. What was that experience like to be back in that kind of a hamster wheel of figuring out a new musical? Yeah, I mean, it was fascinating. I did, I did the first reading for Newsies and the first reading for Tuck Everlasting, like back to back, one week and then the other week. And it was wild seeing how fast, when you have the Disney engine behind you, how fast that went to Broadway, which was like a year from one of the first readings to the time that we were opening. And Tuck Everlasting took six years, which feels insane, but is honestly kind of a normal gestation for a Broadway show. Uh, and it was another one of those things where the first reading, it was so impactful and we we're all, this is a gorgeous, gorgeous bit of material. How do you make this be a show? Um, and it went through a ton of changes. I've never worked on a show that had more cut songs and replaced scenes, uh, basically trying to figure out how to turn it into a Broadway show. Um, 
And what Wait, was I'm also just so remembering seeing this. Hold up, I totally forgot about this. Yeah, I saw a workshop of this show at Playwrights Horizons. Upstairs oh yeah, Black Box, and it was fully stage act one, and then Red Act two. That is just mm -hmm. like coming to my brain right now. All right, keep going. Yeah, totally, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, but and also much like Susical, I was working with a young child actor who um, I couldn't help but see myself in her, uh, especially because she sort of started growing up like in between the time that we were in Atlanta to Broadway. And thankfully she was able to make it to Broadway uh, because she was so incredible. But I remember her, we, and I think honestly, I, I had a really great relationship. This is Sarah Charles Lewis who played Winnie. Um, I just had such a nice relationship with her. Be, I think in part, due to all of the adults who really kind of saw me as a collaborator rather than just like the random kid and saw me as a scene partner and just a human being. And like to this day, I mean, she was my best friend in that show. Um, and I feel like I was so lucky to get to help a young Broadway person go to Broadway with out some of the unnecessary anxiety that might come with leading a Broadway show. Well, I asked her, I told her you were doing this today and she said uh, that you had the best advice for her at all. I'm just reading her note. You had the best <laughs> advice for her on vocal care, on interviews, on stage door stuff that you always knew what to do. So she just looked at you and followed your lead and that she felt like you were a big brother and she could come to you with anything and that you would answer her and help her. And so, uh, cause I had a big thought of like this kid who grew up in the business now mentoring this other kid who's about to have this big moment and how scary that could be. Um, and while you're dealing with your own thing, like you also are a star of the show. So there's a lot on your <laughs> plate, but I'm sure that experience was really interesting for you as a reflection, but also, you know, as an actor. I also feel so lucky to have gotten to work with her. I mean, she is an incredible actress. And it was also, I think when we really first started, she always had like a dynamite voice. It was just special. It was like a once in a lifetime, you hear a kid with a voice that clear and powerful. And she had good instincts, but I really got to watch her become a real little actress and really respond to scenes and see her kind of volley um, line readings at me. Um, and I feel like I ended up just learning a lot from her, especially because I was playing a character who was 104, but also very youthful. And I would learn things from her. And then also we just had to, really take care of each other. It was somewhat a dangerous show. The set was super precarious. It's sort of, um, there was a giant tree on stage that we had to climb and there were no wires or ropes. And it was really us figuring out what we felt safe with and what we were comfortable with. And admittedly, I am very afraid of heights. Um, and she, a lot of times was like a good advocate for me where I'd be like, uh, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm just really worried about Sarah. I don't know if this is totally safe. If we could get another hand grip right here. Meanwhile, she's like, yeah, I'm fine with whatever. But oh my God, <laughs> wild. Well, really trusting relationship too. When you work that hard on something and it doesn't go the way you expected, how difficult is that to keep rolling and remember why you're here? Yeah, I think I felt really lucky with Tuck in that I... 
I was involved with that for six years. We had done, I think, like three readings, two workshops, and out-of-town tryouts. So by the time it opened on Broadway, I already felt closure on the project. Um, I had played that role. I had lived in that skin for so long where it was one of those times where I could really remind myself that like, just getting to this point, it was already a success. Um, and of course you want people to love it as much as you do and for it to find its audience. I think especially coming off of something like Newsies where I'm like, the fan interaction was so incredible and the fans like really just took the piece and made it their own. Um, and there certainly were like, amazing fans for Tuck Everlasting, but it just, it was opening in a tough season. We were up against Hamilton. Uh, uh -oh. and yeah, and it, and it ended up closing really quickly, which was disappointing, but honestly, you have a beautiful I, cast recording and people are yeah. doing it all over the world. And it, you know, I think it will have a big second sort of life. There's also now a one act version that I think Tim Federley sort of uh, Frankenstein together. So I, I think it's going to be, happening a lot everywhere. Yeah, that is, it is one of the beautiful things that I feel like the audience that it did not discover while it was running for one month on Broadway, it has since um, found its audience online. And it was like through Tumblr, through Instagram clips of it, and then through a lot of schools doing it. It's a great musical for, um, young people to do. Uh, and I've gotten to go really all around the country and see a bunch of different productions, all of which are beautiful and um, allows a lot of flexibility and kind of the interpretation and the concept of it. I've seen some insanely creative productions of Tuck Everlasting. And anyone who knows like the source material, the the theme of the musical is like, it doesn't and once it dies, like it is a cycle and it's a wheel and um, it keeps going on whether or not you're a part of it. And that has truly been like the thesis of the Tuck Everlasting musical that it's now being done in so many places. And you're right, we have this great cast recording that um, I still get tagged in <laughs> Tuck Everlasting fan art probably like twice a week. Great. Take it. Soak it up. <laughs> Love it. Um, we have to talk about the book series and also, you know, it, you've done so much more than most actors do. I mean, you have not, you've not allowed yourself to live in the bubble of I'm a performer. You are you're a writer, you're a director. Talk to me about writing the book series with Kate Weatherhead and how that came about. If, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so the book series that I wrote is uh, it's called Jack and Louisa. Uh, and it's about, two kids who do musical theater. Um, something I know pretty well. Uh, <laughs> we were working on, uh, I think the third season of our web series, Submissions Only, which is all about theater. When Which is also a huge hit. Everything you touch. <laughs> oh gosh, thank you. Um, but we got called in for a meeting with uh, Penguin, the publishing group, uh, to see if we might be interested in writing a middle grade series about musical theater. And it was so not on the path that I had thought I was going to be on, uh, but ended up being such an incredible experience. And immediately we just started talking about, okay, well, what would this series be about? Well, let's talk about stories from when we were young and performing. Uh, and we're like, okay, well, 
I was getting fired from a Broadway show at this point. And Kate was like, well, I was performing in my community theater. And she's like, well, we have to write about that. And I'm like, I don't want to write about that. That's like, that's not fun. That will give me so much anxiety. Uh, but we decided that is a great jumping off point. Like what happens when a kid loses out on his dreams and is forced to kind of move back home, but meets a girl who is incredibly passionate and the biggest musical theater nerd, um, what does that relationship look like? Like, how are they going to deal with jealousy? How are they going to deal with uh, just the challenges of coming of age? And from there, the first book really wrote itself, basically just us kind of cathartically exercising the um, memories and experiences of our teenage years. Um, and then we got to go on and write two more, which was really wild. And I think was the perfect kind of closure on my Susical experience because I feel like I learned so much just about that experience in writing the book where I'm like, oh yeah, that is the lesson I learned that just took me about like 12 to 15 years to actually figure out why that happened. And I think one of the reasons that I had to live through that was so that I could write this book series and kind of speak to um, the feelings that so many teenagers feel of not fitting in or not being good enough or um, feeling different at school. It's so great. And I'm so glad it exists for those middle schoolers to have that sort of as a, a story to kind of lock into. And it's great that that you have created that. Uh, we You've done so much film and TV stuff. We have to talk about The Undoing before we get into <laughs> quick. I just want to talk about it for me. Um, all right. So we get to do like this fabulous scene with Nicole Kidman. Had you been a fan of hers? Tell me about working with oh her. My gosh. On of course. Yes. I was such a nerd about that whole experience. Um, yeah. I mean, Moulin Rouge was like my favorite movie as a teenager. Um, oh yeah. I definitely took a beta blocker on set before we had to film because I'm like, I'm going to be so nervous. Um, but she was like really cool. She talks really quiet. She also basically improv'd our entire scene. Like we had the script and in the rehearsal, we had done all the lines. And then as soon as we started rolling in, she just went completely off script. And I, it did throw me a little bit because I was like, you can rewrite David E. Kelly's lines, but I don't feel comfortable <laughs> in my career right now to be like, oh yeah, let me just like vibe with Nicole Kidman. Um, but it was, um, it was very- Were you, and there were you surprised? Were you surprised at all of the fan reaction from that series that, you know, everyone was watching it and it was, I'm sure you were getting calls from, cause there you, you always kind of like pop up on my TV, but um, you know, were, was that any of that surprising to you? I, I do feel like honestly, maybe more than any TV appearance that I've done, many of which I have a much bigger role in than the undoing, but that was where all of my like, friends from Detroit, from the past, like everyone was watching that show at the same time. And that I think was really cool. It's so great. Um, you have such an incredible career. You've done so many unbelievable things and you continue to create and perform and write and direct. What do you want your next big thing to be? Um, well, I, <laughs> that's a good question. I'm, I'm writing a book right now, um, that is for, uh, a slightly older audience than the Jack and Louisa series. Uh, and it's the first one that I've written on my own. So that is terrifying, 
in a way that I think is good because as soon as I start feeling comfortable in something, then I'm like, eh, this isn't going to teach me anything. Um, so yes, I'm working on a book. Um, Kate Weatherhead, who's my collaborator, we're uh, working on a movie also in the theater realm. And we are currently, I think I'm allowed to say this, we are working on a season four of Submissions Only after oh, many, so many yeah, people will be very excited to hear that. Let me know if I need to take this out. But it's, <laughs> I, it's I think really cool. I think, it, um, I think we said it somewhere else. So <laughs> my God, everybody loves you. All right, I need to do obsessed and quick fire. So, what yeah. are you obsessed with right now? Okay, I am obsessed with an Instagram account. It is called Let's Hear It for the Choice. Um, it is basically a curation of clips from both Broadway and amateur performers of people just making huge choices in musical theater. And it could be an option, it could be a riff, it could be an acting beat, but I am obsessed. It is like the most positive account. It makes me miss live theater so much. It is so hilarious. Even my husband who, he works in journalism for politics. I will catch him like watching clips of girls playing Elle Woods at like the Muni making like huge choices. It is like the best music theater nerddom account. So let's, let's hear it for the choice. choice. I can't wait. Uh, my obsession this week is so basic, but it's Bridgerton on Netflix. It's so good. Andrew, have you watched it yet? I am not. No, I need to. I need to. It's I need really to. Great. It's like Downton Abbey, but it's also like, maybe I'm like, is this porn? But it is so, <laughs> it's so well done and fun. And uh, Shonda Rhimes is a genius and uh, people are obsessed with it. Okay. Quick fire questions. First audition song. Gary Indiana from Music Man. Wonderful. Favorite holiday? Oh, Thanksgiving. First Broadway show you ever saw? Les Miserables. First, uh, tell me one thing about working with Casey Nicola. Oh my gosh, he cries at the drop of a hat and it is the most <laughs> contagious thing. Like he will cry, he gets so moved and it's really actually such a beautiful thing. If you can go back and do one performance of anything in your career, what would it be? Oh, I feel like I touch on this. I would go back and do Leaf Coney Bear and Spelling Bee again. Love it. What do you want on your bagel? I don't think you eat bagels, but what do you want on your bagel? Not true. I eat bagels all the time. And everything bagel with plain cream cheese. Uh, um, did you study anyone's limp to play crutchy? I actually, um, I watched a lot of documentaries about people with polio. Um because I sort of decided that that's probably what was going on with Crutchy because the timeline really lined up. Uh, so I tried to base that musculature on uh, people inflicted with polio. Do you have a pre-show ritual? Uh, yeah, I usually do a little like 15 minute yoga flow. All right, yoga flow. Who's your favorite <laughs> Mary Poppins? You can't say Julie Andrews. Oh gosh, oh, this is hard. Um, Maddie Trumbull, who is my best friend. She played it on the tour. She was incredible. Strangest fan interaction. Uh, someone once asked for my signature and then came to the stage door later and they had turned it into a tattoo. No. Where was the <laughs> tattoo? Where was the tattoo located? On their chest. Oh, male or female? It was a girl and she was so nice and so sweet. I hope she's listening. And I hope you don't regret that too much. <laughs> oh my God, I love it so much. Um, Go-to album for a car trip? Oh, uh, Dua Lipa, Future Nostalgia. 
One show you'll never get over not booking. Oh gosh. <laughs> Curious incident of the dog at the nighttime. Didn't even get a call back. <laughs> Have you ever called out mid show? Uh, I did when I was in ragtime because I was puking in the wings. <laughs> uh, worst audition you can remember? Oh God. <laughs> there have been too many. <laughs> Actually, it was for the high school musical um, national tour. I arrived at what I thought was a singer's call and it ended up being a dance call. And I arrived late and they had already taught the combination and it was the basketball number. And so I just went in a group and played with a basketball and like put it under my shirt and pretend to be a pregnant woman because I didn't have time to learn the combination. See, that's bravery. That's what you need. You're, um, <laughs> who's your number one favorite Broadway leading lady? I mean, it's got to be Audra McDonald. Oh, I want Blank Movie to be a musical. Ooh, uh, Carolina Change. What newsy uh, should Patti Lapone play? <laughs> Specs. I want to see her twirl on that newspaper. Can you name two Real Housewives? Uh, Countess Luann and Sonia. Great. Fill in the blank. Beauty and the Beast's enchantment of Christmas is... Enchanted Christmas is... It's something that I get a residual check for every single year. <laughs> the best decision have, ever. Have you ever auditioned for Bach? I have not, no. If you could direct any revival of any show, what would it be? Oh, man. Uh... Honestly, Tuck Everlasting. Name a musical you're okay with never seeing again. Oof. Uh, oh, gosh. All the, oh, I don't know. Uh, I like all musicals. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Tell me later. Um, who makes you starstruck? Oh, um, weirdly, and this is someone I've cultivated a recent friendship with, is Donna Murphy, but I still will freaking nerd out every time I am around her, and it's really awkward, and I can't believe she still talks to me. She's like a very big passion fan. I got you. Um, <laughs> yes. Have you ever seen a ghost? <laughs> I have not. No, kind of want to, though. Maybe today. Today's the day. Okay, we have a couple more. What's your Starbucks order? Oh, uh, just like a tall latte, like pretty small. Yeah. Um, do you do any impressions? I used to do a good Daphne Rubin Vega, but um, <laughs> I'm not going to do it because it destroy my time. Voice. It's like yeah. there. Well, I loved, she was in the revival of Les Mis with my sister as Fontaine. And I secretly was like really into her performance because I was like, yeah, that girl's Fontaine. But she definitely, she sang it like, I dream the dream and time gone by. And I was, Andrew, that's, it's actually very good. <laughs> All right. Well, have you ever left a show at intermission and you don't have to tell us what it was? I have left a show at intermission. I will not Same. tell you what it was. Same piece. Okay. Last thing. What do you wish you could tell your younger self uh, about what was ahead of you? I would say um, get ready to work on the graceful execution of plan B because Plan A is rarely going to go according to plan. I love it. Um, tell the people where they can find you and follow you. I'm sure they already do that, but go ahead. <laughs> you can go at Keenan Blogger on, on all the apps. Yes, great. Well, we'll do that. Um, Andrew, thank you so much for joining me today. It's such a joy to get to hear your story from you. You are a ray of sunshine. There's no question why everyone wants you in their show and uh, follows you on all the socials. You're, you're a genius. So thank you for being with me today. 
Thank you for having me, Mark. And if you're loving the Little Me podcast, go uh, rate and subscribe and review and tell your friends. Follow us on Instagram at, at Little Me Podcast and follow me at Mark Tuminelli. Andrew, thank you again, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash little me. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at That Tuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.